Well, good morning, Watermark family. My name is Kristen Farrell, and I'm the vice chair here at Watermark Wesleyan. And thank you for joining us, whether you're live here at the McKinley campus, uh, at the 1030 service at Springville Crossing or Springville Crump. There's Springville Crossing Campus, sorry about that. Um, and those of you who are joining us online, we're so glad that you've uh, chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning here with us. And if you joined us last week, you've heard some exciting news that comes with some mixed emotions uh, that Pastor Ken has decided that to best serve the needs of his family, that he could best do that back at home in Michigan. And so while that comes uh, with great sadness for us, both as leadership and congregation staff, we know that there are still some really exciting times ahead. The board has been working behind the scenes for months, trying to come up with a plan, praying through and discerning uh, just a seamless transition, one that would show care to both our congregation, uh, our community, our staff, and our other leadership. And we're just really excited to be able to uh, bring you the news that the board's recommendation is Paul Gartley. And so... We feel really, really excited about that. Um, hopefully you received a letter from me this past week, although we did find out that we are having some technical difficulties. And so uh, there's a long story behind that, but really what it's come down to is that some of those emails may have been delivered to your junk mail or your spam or just deleted in general. So if you're still waiting on that, um, on that correspondence, you can look in those places. But we also have a place on our website that if you go to Watermark, um, watermarkwesleyan.com. There's a there's a button that's transition, and it has all the letters that have been sent, all the communication that um, that we've been sending sending to you. And additionally, with that, some of the emails that have come back to me have also gotten lost. Uh, so if you haven't heard anything, that could be uh, one of that one of those technical issues too. So please be patient with us as we uh, deal with <laughs> with technology. But as excited as we are about um, nominating Paul and putting forth him to the congregation for our vote next week, uh, we know that for some of you, this might be an introduction to Paul and that you may not know his, his history with us here. And so in light of backstory, we would love to share a little bit of who Paul is with all of you. He prays, he asks the Lord for direction and for wisdom and guidance. And when I start to see peace in his spirit, I know that he's ready to step into something new. When I look back at my 21 years of ministry here at Watermark, I'm blown away. But my time here really began at the hub and in student ministry. You know, it was back in April of 99 when I joined the church staff, and none of this was here yet. At that point, we met in a little room over in the church called the Triplex, and we'd have dozens and dozens of students come every week. It was incredibly fruitful ministry. But as we looked at our community and all that was going on around us, we realized we weren't even scratching the surface of the kids in our area who needed to know Jesus. How do we create a space for students who had never come to the church to meet Jesus? When we opened the doors of the hub in 2005, we'd have thousands of students come through the doors every week. As I look around this place right now, I can remember conversations in just about every corner of this building. Conversations about life, conversations about Jesus, helping kids to understand that they're loved and cared for. Those years of ministry were 
some of my favorite. And the team we got to work with was one of the best teams I've ever been a part of. In 2005, our church took its first trip to Zambia. You see, as we built this place, we realized we can't just keep everything for ourselves and, and all the money we're raising and just use it here. We said we need to pick up our gaze and look outward. And we chose two countries in Africa, Zambia and Congo. Well, on that first trip to Zambia, something happened that I did not expect. It was an evening worship service and, and the energy in the room was incredible. People were peering in the windows and doors because there was no room left in the building. And as we were at that service, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I definitely felt like the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart that my ministry was going to change. And from that point forward, coming home, everything did change. I started taking annual trips to Zambia with high school students. 10 to 12 students a year, we would travel to Zambia and engage in ministry and AIDS and HIV ministry, teaching kids about abstinence and the difference Jesus can make in their lives. And it's through those years of ministry at the Hub and taking students to Zambia that I realized um, I was going to be in this for a long time. There was no way to turn back. After a number of years of serving and doing things internationally and in the city, the church decided we needed someone to oversee that entire world. The search began as a national search and I didn't know if I was the right person. Then one day Pastor Jim came and said, you know what, I think this role is just for you. So I put my name in and they brought in two candidates from the outside and as history may have it, I, I got the role. And that position changed my life. All of a sudden, my faith got so much larger than what was just happening here in our city, but I got to see how God was working internationally in India, in Lebanon, in Congo, in Zambia, with all of our partner ministries. But not only internationally, I got to see what God was doing right here in the city of Buffalo. And when I peeled back and really saw what was happening, I saw a beautiful picture of how God was changing lives, of how he was beginning to new, do new things and build on old things. And we as a church got to be a part of all of that. Well, here we are in the South Towns, right in the middle of Hamburg. We have an opportunity to do the things we've been doing internationally and in the city right here, to love people in the name of Jesus, to show them what maybe you and I know about what a relationship with Jesus really looks like, to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here in our own communities. So we started at the Hub because that highlights my early years in student ministry and then we moved to the middle of the village of Hamburg because outreach and reaching people is so important to me. Well right now we're in our backyard. The, the shelter we're sitting in right now, we built this so that we could host people well in our home. The hosting is really important to us. Um, we both enjoy hospitality and gathering people together. Um, we feel like it's like a little bit of church, even outside of church. We just love to be together with people. After 21 years of marriage, I really know this guy. Um, I know his, his love for the Lord. I know his desire to point others to Jesus. Um, he, he really wants to do what God wants of him. And over and over, he's amazed me with um, how he stepped up to every new opportunity and challenge that has come his way in ministry in particular. He really does lean in the Lord for all of those decisions and I know that that's what makes him a good leader. Um, it's what makes him a good leader of our family and how I've seen him lead other people. 
I couldn't be more proud of the man that he is and um, the way that, that we work together really as a team. And we've always said that, that he, um, me supporting him is very important. And uh, what he does at church is not only his calling, but my calling as well as a couple. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't be more excited to see what God has in store next. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah, well, it's, you know, this could either be a funeral or I could be applying for a new job because that, you watch your life on a screen, you're like, oh, really? Paul, that's, that's interesting. Uh, Sorry, that, there you go. Start with that. Like, and segue too. Yeah, right. Um, we're so excited to be able to watch that and to be able to have you here uh, just to, to continue to get to know you better. And I guess by my most pressing question is just this idea of how do you feel that all of those experiences that you just watched have, have led you for this moment right here and right now? Yeah, that's an incredible question because I think about my days in student ministry, whether it be in the triplex, for those of you who remember when it was called that, or the hub. And those years of ministry, especially at the hub, the focus, the reason we did that whole thing was to tell people about Jesus, to tell students who wouldn't come to this church for any other reason that there was a God who loved and cared for them and that their lives could be eternally different. And I believe that the, the lessons I learned and how to share the gospel, the heart and passion to do so, will carry over into what happens with me next if you guys choose for me to be your new lead pastor. That this church will be known as one that holds Jesus on high and we offer him freely to everybody. 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 Because our world is dying for that right now. They're dying for that connection to know that there's more than maybe what they see right in front of them. And then my outreach years, Kristen, I, I can't tell you as I looked at those pictures of the different trips and the faces who went and the opportunities we had to serve, but, but really what the Lord did in my heart through each of those trips. Maureen's over here, I can really see it. But Maureen, you were on that first trip and that experience, you were a part of that. And it was incredible the way the Lord, when you go overseas, it's not just going and thinking you're going to have this experience, but he, he does something in your heart. And every time I went, I tried to come back and share what I saw, what I learned, what I experienced to, to build all of us up so that, so that we're more concerned about what happens outside the walls of this church than what happens mm -hmm. here. And as our worldviews have been shaped and molded over all that time, that we can really step into new and exciting areas of ministry. And then my last couple of years in spiritual formation, the importance of people really knowing who Jesus is. That foundation, that biblical knowledge, that idea that everything begins with what you do with Jesus and helping people to understand him and what he means to us more clearly. So... All that to say, Kristen, all of those experiences, I think, are going to just come forth in, in the years to come and just ooze out. That's an <laughs> awful word, but there you go. No, it's exciting. Uh, I think as Paul and I were talking about this, we figured out he has about one month on me in ministry. <laughs> we met in the spring of, of 1999 when we were both doing ministry together. And so as we've kind of journeyed through this for a couple decades, um, one thing that I, I love about 
Paul being um, considered for the candidate here is just just the humanity that that he brings to the position that you bring to this position. You know, you came into this church as I mean, I'll put these words, but an awkward twenty year old, right? Single um, and and ex- new and excited in in some of your faith journey, and and to see um, you you know meet Holly here, get married, raise your kids here, uh, to experience this place as a single and as someone as a husband who's married and also as a father and even a son as your as your parents also attend just that that legacy that that generational legacy of faithfulness that will continue throughout in your in your family to me is just is such a gift and yeah. such a blessing to us well thank you and so i know we'll talk more about this but if you could just give us a glimpse of some of your hopes and dreams for watermark going forward uh, i would love to hear that yeah i'm going to do that with three words and then build on it my the three words are hope healing and grace My desire is that every time somebody drives by the Springville Crossing campus or South Creek or here at McKinley and Bayview, that every time they drive by, they say, that's the church that made a difference in our community. That's the church that when my friend, my neighbor, my coworker was having a rough time, reached around them and and loved them. That's the church who serves tirelessly in our community, not because maybe we have to, but, but I think we do have to. I think we're called to do those things. My hope is for us as as a church that we become an oasis in the middle of everything that's happening in our world. Not only for people to come and find respite and, and nourishment, but to find the love of Christ. And that as they do, their lives are transformed. And, and even for those of us who attend, whether online at Springville right now as you're watching or in this room, every weekend when we gather, this isn't the best part of, well, it might be the best part of our week, but our faith doesn't begin and end on a Sunday morning. But we really carry it, you know, when we leave here through the, when we show up again the next week and we love and serve our world well. That's what I see as a church. And not just now during COVID, but after COVID and 10 years down the road and, and for all of who we are as a church. Yeah, what a good word. Mm. We're so excited um, and so hopeful for the future. Um, I know that this just scratches the surface of all the questions that you may have as a congregation, as you can be an informed voter uh, next week. And so we want to invite you back on Tuesday at 6.30. Either you can come here live uh, at the McKinley campus, or you can join us through a Zoom link, which that'll show up in in your emails this week, uh, because we really want the opportunity to kind of talk through Paul with this. Uh, I know that for me, and I didn't say this in the last service, but this wasn't just a like, how about Paul? I mean, we've thought through this and prayed through this for, for so many months, and we hope that you'll come to a place where you're just as excited as we are uh, for our next steps. Mm-hmm. I also know that Pastor Ken is also really excited at the potential of, of passing the, the torch to Paul. He unfortunately uh, was supposed to be here this week, but can't be this week because on Tuesday, uh, they found out that one of his sons, Silas, was actually tested positive for COVID. And so because of that, the whole Nash family is currently in quarantine. Uh, he was supposed to preach this week, which is why he also uh, is excited about the fact that we have a preaching team so that when these things happen, we can seamlessly transition into um, a different speaker, but he just really wishes he could be here. He wishes he could be here for the um, town hall on Tuesday, which he also won't be able to be at, but I'll be there. Uh, Paul Gartley, 
you'll be there. And Dr. Joey Jennings, our district superintendent, will also be there if you have any district denominational questions. And so we're excited for the future. We know that there are good things on the horizon. Yep. And in some ways, this, this feels like such an exciting uh, beginning as the, as the torch is passed. Yeah. So let me pray for, um, pray for us as we continue our service. God, I thank you for these moments on a Sunday morning to pause. Lord, to give you glory, to take a moment in the midst of some of the chaotic busyness of our lives and look to you for our guidance, your love, your grace, and your wisdom. Lord, I pray for Paul as he continues to prepare his message for next week and, um, and just to prepare his heart for the upcoming months of the possible transition. I pray for Tuesday night, the opportunity to just uh, hear clearly from you as we uh, get answers to some of the questions we may have. And I pray for the Nash family, Lord. I'm so thankful that uh, the symptoms have been mild. There hasn't, it hasn't really been disruptive that way and that no one else has tested positive, Lord. But I just pray that you especially keep your hand of protection over Mason uh, as they quarantine this week and help them with the, the kind of the restlessness of that. So Lord, I just pray that, um, that you go before us as we continue in the service, knowing that we seek to just serve you and to glorify your name. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So today we turn the page as we continue through our 100-day challenge. If you were with us last year at this time, we did a 100-day challenge of the New Testament, and so many of you were blessed through that reading of the New Testament that we wanted to revisit that again with the Old Testament. And so today we look to Exodus. And again, as I mentioned, uh, <laughs> Pastor Ken was supposed to preach this. I would like to not think of myself as a backup quarterback, but I do think that we learned last night that backup quarterbacks can be in some other people's favor sometimes. And so I'm really happy to be here with you this morning. Um, and so as we look to Exodus, as we continue uh, through our 100-day challenge, I'm going to be talking about a story today that has been told for 3,500 years. It is so integral to the backstory of who we are, and Jewish culture especially has told this story year after year after year because it's one that is so important for us as Christians to know and to learn and to understand. And what we'll do today will just whet your appetite for your reading this week. It will just start to show you ways to look through uh, the scripture and to see that as you tackle these 14 chapters, um, what important things and themes to be looking for. And the second reason that, that I'm excited to talk about this today is to show us more of God's patience, more of God's character, more of the intimate relational God that we have that journeys with us through even the darkest of times. Because if you think of the word exodus, I want you to think of these words, mass departure, fleeing, evacuate, retreat. Those are the things that an exodus is. 
And as we read today, we'll see how much we matter, how much our purpose and our work really matters to God, how that we do, though, need some patience to get us through some of the journey, but that all we need is God, that he is who he is, and his promises won't fail us. And there's one other truth that I'll save to the end as we jump into this story. And so we pick up where we left off, where God had promised Abraham that, that his generations would be, would be a nation of people and that those people would settle into a promised land. But things don't look so good right now. Where we are in the, situ- in the story is here in Exodus 1, 6 and 7, where it says, now J- Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So even though it didn't seem like so much was happening uh, on the surface, they they were busy. They were exceedingly fruitful. So they, they they were doing what they needed to do, so to speak. And we've seen that language before in scripture. We saw it with Noah. We saw it in the beginning with Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. And so as God was, was preparing the Israelites, this was one way that he was preparing them to multiply into this great, great nation. And where we meet him here is actually great timing because between 1200 and 750 BC, there was actually no other world power than, than the Egyptians. And so there was room, there was room for a great nation to come to a promised land a promised land that would be a crossroads for the world. And so as they were multiplying, as they were preparing, they were all set to go, except for one problem, a pretty big problem. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And so how does that work? Where's God's promises in those moments when they had experienced that kind of slavery? Well, in Exodus 1.8, it says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. What a new king meant here is that this king, this new pharaoh, didn't know the backstory, didn't know that the, Joseph had had a good relationship with the pharaoh of the past. And we know that when we have an uninformed backstory, we make uninformed decisions. And as the Pharaoh kept watching the Hebrews multiply and multiply, he became more and more threatened, right? He saw what was coming on the horizon. He, he saw the great numbers and he wanted to come up with a plan, a plan to decrease this Hebrew population that was multiplying. And this was his plan. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery store, if you, stool, see, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And this may seem like a tiny, insignificant part of the whole big picture of Exodus story, but it, it isn't. It is so important. And here's why. This is just evident, evidence of what God prepares us for in his kingdom. In fact, there's a concept that we've talked about around here called the upside-down kingdom. We did a whole series last uh, summer called the upside-down kingdom, which is available on our website if, if you want to go back and listen. But what that idea of an upside-down kingdom meant was this, 
that the first shall be last, the rich shall be poor. Service is greater than power and prestige. All the things that even today are still so countercultural to the way that we live. And yet this upside down kingdom is the one that God talked about. And it's so evident here in a small detail. And this detail is in the use of the names. We know that names are important to God all throughout scripture. When he says, I am the God of Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, we know that that's saying that he is a relational God. And it's no different in this passage the names here are so significant. Do you know that the name Pharaoh isn't really a name, it's just a title. And so after Pharaoh, after Pharaoh, after Pharaoh that come, we don't, they're not even important enough to know their actual names. But titles aren't as important to God as individuals are. And the individuals that are so important here are the midwives, the Hebrew women, the countercultural people in society are the ones who have the power in this story. They had so many checks against them. They were Hebrew, they were enslaved, and they were women. And yet they are named here. It is their names, these women's names that we know how many years later because of their faithfulness to God. That they feared God greater than they feared Pharaoh. And because of that, God blessed them through generations of families. And so why is that important for us today as we enter into this Exodus story? Because no matter what, you need to know that you matter. Your name matters. Your name, Colin. Your name, Gray. Your name, Audrey. You matter. God is not a God just of the Israelites, a big like, conceptual group of people, but he is a God of individuals. And he cares so deeply about having a relationship with you. And sometimes in the midst of, of life and the busyness or the mundane reality, we start to think, Does my, do my decisions even matter? Does my work matter? Does my faithfulness day after day, does God even see it? And this scripture shows us that yes, you do matter. And it's so important to grasp that concept because of what is coming next. Because Pharaoh, once he sees the multiplying and he sees that his plan isn't working, he doesn't give up. He doubles down, actually. Then Pharaoh gave his order to all of his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Which I just have to say is like, didn't we just like learn that it was the women who like were the strong ones and yet he was still afraid of the boys? I'm just saying. Ken had written that into the script. It's not just my agenda, but it's true, right? He says, let the, let the girls live. And so think of this, enter a baby boy, a Levite couple who were nervous knowing that their son had a death threat, a death, death wish on them, that his destiny was already marked out for him and that was death. And yet it's this mother this mother of this Levite boy who was supposed to be killed, right? She, she holds on to him and she protects him for three months until she can't any longer. And then she finds a basket of papyrus and she tars the bottom of it. And with loving care, she puts this baby into the care of this basket and sends it down the Nile to the, to the bathing area of the Egyptians. And lo and behold, Enter another woman who comes and rescues Moses out of the basket. 
And it's so interesting to think of the symbolism here. The only other place that this word basket was used in the Hebrew language was to describe the ark. So if you do the math, either Noah saved all of humanity and all the animals in a tiny basket, or this basket is a symbol of the ark, just like Noah's was, being rescued and drawn out of the water. That's who Moses is to us in in this story. But even though Moses was chosen, he was also human. And I just think of his backstory, and there's been movies made about it and cartoons made of it, and I just can't imagine the internal conflict that Moses had to suffer growing up. He knew his backstory. He knew his history, and whether it was his adoptive mom that kind of gave him the truth of that, or if it was his birth mom who nursed him into, uh, into young teenager life, we know that Moses did indeed knew, know that his legacy was slavery, that that's what his birthright, his birthright was, was slavery, and yet he was living royalty. He was watching his people being beaten and, and poorly treated and enslaved while you know, he was living it up. I can't imagine the, the fraudulent feeling that he must have just faced every day. When am I gonna be found out? I'm such a phony. Where do I belong? What is my identity? And this internal conflict weighs on him. It weighs on him until finally it says one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now in this moment, regardless of of what Moses was struggling with, we know that at this moment, he essentially orphaned himself from both sides, right? The Hebrews had already despised him and resented him for the position that he had. And now that he had done this act of murder, Pharaoh found out, wanted him arrested and killed. And so Moses, Moses, who was named by his mom, I drew you out of the water. I saved you from from your fate of death. This Moses, who was the chosen one of God, did what so many of us do sometimes. He fleed. (laughs) He got out of Dodge, right? He just took off. He He fleed to the wilderness. He stayed there for, he then met his wife Zipporah, and there he was a shepherd for 40 years, so it's interesting when we think of God's promises and God's timing, the, the Hebrews had already been enslaved for four, 400 years and now we're adding another 40? I mean, where is God? Where does that leave the promises for the Israelites here in this moment? Well, this is why it's so important to remember why you matter because sometimes we need to be patient. And it's really hard to be patient if you forget how much you are loved and cared for. But sometimes when it comes to God's timing and God's plan, we need a lot of patience. I never thought of myself as an impatient person until about 10 months ago. I don't know if you guys know what started 10 months ago, but it was this world pandemic where I thought a month wasn't all that long. And now don't you look back and think, now I know how long a month can be. Now I know what patience can really be. 
right? And just as we're starting to feel a little freed from that, we have the vac- maybe a vaccination, now it's hard to get, or maybe we think, you know, we're, we're beating this thing and then there's variants. Oh, the weight of the need for patience is on us. And in a more lighthearted way, We Buffalo Bills fans know a little bit about patience, right? (laughs) We know what it means to wait and long for something and yet not see a light until decades later. So I want to encourage you. You matter. But we need patience. And if we never remember how much we, we matter, it's hard to have that kind of a patience. In Scripture, it says during that long period... During that long period, the king of Egypt died. So another Pharaoh comes. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. The Israelites were human just like us. They weren't just some obscure group of people that we can read about. They felt the agony of this kind of patience and this waiting. But the next verse says this, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Oftentimes in scripture, when it says he remembered them, God remembered them, it doesn't mean that he forgot and needed a reminder. Usually that's a signal to us in scripture that he is about to act and act he did. So Moses was out tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And here, this is a familiar story to you that you'll read. He sees this burning bush, but this burning bush that's engulfed in flames and not burning at all, right? And he's, he's just astounded by this. He's in awe. And imagine how much more intense it gets when he hears this. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God had heard the Israelites cry. He had a plan. He was concerned for them. He loved them. They mattered not just as a people, but as individuals. And what's the plan, Moses? Well, the plan is we're going to send you. We're sending you, Moses, to do this. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Not, a, not an easy task, right? Here's the job, shepherd boy, right? Who had this really confusing backstory, who left Egypt after murdering someone, who fled to the wilderness. The next stop for you is to go approach the tyrannical leader, Pharaoh. He's a dictator. He's the dictator of the most powerful nation. And I want you to just ask him to give up his labor force for no particularly good reason. I want you to go and do that. Well, as you can imagine, as sometimes we all experience as good and faithful servants of God, he objects. You'll read this week all of the excuses that he gives. I'm not eloquent of speech. I have no authority to do this. I'm not a good leader. Is there someone else? And I love God's answer. I love what it says about his character. God doesn't say, you're not that bad of a speaker. I mean, you got this. Or, you know what, you you, you do display some leadership skills, so, you know, we'll we'll work with that. He doesn't say, well, you took the Myers-Briggs test, and because of these personality types, this is what's... He doesn't say, you got this. He says, I got this. He said, you need only to be obedient, because I am the I am. 
he responds this way. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. I love his answers here. It gives me goosebumps every time I read it because he reminds us, I am the God of your past. I am the God of your fathers, right? Pastor Steve taught us last week that that shows the intimate relational God that we have. And he says, I am that God. But he also says, I am the future God for generations and generations. My favorite is that I am shows us that he is a present tense God, that he is the God of our past, of our present, and of our future. And in those moments when we just come to the end of our rope and we say, God, I need strength, he says, I am strength. God, I just need more patience. I am patience. But I need wisdom and discernment for this chaotic, chaotic situation. And God says, I am wisdom for this chaotic moment. And you can fill in the blank because that's who God is. God is our fill in the blank Jesus. He is the one that that prepares the way that says, I am the way, I am the bread of life, I am the lamb of God, I am the door, I am the narrow gate, I am. And there's so much profound insight in those two small words, I am. So be encouraged because you matter you need to remember that so that you can have some patience in the long, enduring wait sometimes of God making good on his promises. But most importantly, God is a God who is with you. I am with you. I am all you need. And Moses, Moses believed that. So this inarticulate man who had questionable leadership skills, he actually goes to Pharaoh and does this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Big surprise. Pharaoh doesn't agree. In fact, he doubles down again. More straw, more bricks, harder labor, more work, worse treatment of the people who were enslaved. And the Israelites became enraged and mad at Moses. And you'll see in the reading all this dialogue, all this conversation that happens, which again just shows us the character of God and his humanity and his intimacy that he has with us. But God hears him and he replies. He says to Moses, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Remember the truths, he says. Remember the promises. They haven't changed. And we would like to think the response would say, oh, good, thanks for the reminder. We really needed that. But no, they were human, right? They were real people. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. They were exhausted. As much as they wanted to believe in these promises, it had been a long, long time. So God acted. 
God acted, and that's when you'll read through all the plagues, so many chapters of so many plagues. You'll see the lice and the flies and the frogs and the blood-filled river. And you'll see that, hardened, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened time and time again. And, and Hebrew scholars have, have uh, argued the grammar of what the original Hebrew language says. It's greatly debated about this idea of God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the point is, is that Pharaoh didn't relent. He just continued to be disobedient. And because of that, more plagues, more dead livestock, boils, hail, locusts. Finally, the last plague, the one that God knew a little bit something about, knew the intensity in the sacrifice, knew that if there's one way to wake up a people, it would be through the sacrifice of their sons. And so God plans this last plague that all the firstborn sons will be killed, that in this night, there will be a wave that comes over. And he says to the Israelites, you can protect yourself from this. You are my people. Sacrifice a lamb to me and put the blood of it over your doorways and you will be spared. My provision will be upon you. And I can't imagine the intensity that those Hebrew people felt as they, as they obediently made those sacrifices of a lamb, which of course foreshadow for us the beautiful sacrifice of the lamb that hopefully we know so well. And so on that same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I can't imagine how scared the people were that night. And yet it became very clear that this was the beginning of their great exodus. And the next morning, Pharaoh relents. Hallelujah, can you believe it? And between two and five million slaves were freed that day. That's the population of Chicago or double the population of Chicago. That's how big of an exodus, a mass evacuation that it was. And you would think that the Israelites could say, we finally made it. And yet Pharaoh, who's very persistent, right, changes his mind, grabs his army, and starts pursuing the Israelites with a chariot-driven army. And the Israelites are terrified. They cry out again, hasn't there been enough deaths in Egypt? Did you free us only so that we may die? But no, Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I can't imagine hearing those words, right? What can I do? Should we fight back? Should we run faster? And Moses tells the people that God's words are just to be still. Sometimes the best wisdom that we can have when we're feeling the chaotic pressure of our own lives, maybe even terrified of situations that we're going through, is to just be still and let the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac take care of it. And that's what happens. That's what happens. In the midst of this chaos, peace comes over the Israelites as they are still. And it makes sense, right? The best way to clear up muddy water is just to stop 
One of my favorite things to do in the spring with my kids is we go to the banks of the 18 Mile Creek and we go to those big rocks and we go looking for crayfish because it's fun to try to catch them. So we pull up the rocks and before you can jump in, you gotta pause and you have to be still and let all the sediment go down to the bottom so that you can clearly see. And that's what happens. Moses lifts his staff, the waters part, the Israelites walk through, Egyptian army comes, the waters crash down and engulf them. And then it's it's stated this way. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. That day, they were saved. And we know that there is more to the story. But for now, that's it. That's That's the story of Exodus. And it's such an important story because it shows us that we matter, that we need to have patience, that God is the great I am. But there's one more point. And if you miss this next point, it's hard to make all of this make sense. And some of us don't even realize it. Some of us don't even realize that we're still enslaved. You know, guilt is a funny thing. Sin is a word that we don't even really use that much in society anymore. It's like an old term that like, you know, I don't know, weird fire-breathing Christians like shout at you about going to hell. But there is truth in that fact that we are sinners and we don't even feel guilt sometimes. And I'm not talking about the, the guilt from like not murder guilt, not rock bottom guilt, not legalistic guilt about not coming to church or something like that. And not even the guilt of battling big addictions, but the average stuff, the stuff that we just shove off is easily justifiable, easily excused and socially acceptable. Those things that that the average stuff of of greed and gossip and and gluttony, right? The everyday boring old sin of pride and judgment or lust for things that we want or the sin of resentment or needing to be in control. The problem is, is that people aren't usually half enslaved, right? You either are or you aren't. And God gives us this great promise that you matter, that you should be patient, that God is all you need because our God is in the business of setting people free. And God doesn't want you to live in any type of enslavement, none of it at all. And that sin that so easily ensnares us that we can get caught up in as we lose sight of who he is and who we are and how much that relationship matters. And we shrug off some of those easily justifiable things, but God knows that we can be freed from that, that we can live in the glory of his holiness and that we don't have to carry those burdens any longer. God is in the business of setting people free. And that is the story of Exodus, that we don't have to live in the ways that we live sometimes with our small insidious sins that can grow and fester and affect whole families and groups and neighborhoods and communities, that we can be set free from that. Because remember, right, that's what Exodus is, a mass departure how good it would feel to have a mass departure from all of these things that we feel, to flee from our sin, to retreat from it, to evacuate from it, to truly experience the exodus that God wants us to have. Because we know that this exodus foreshadows a greater exodus 
We know because in Colossians it says, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I, uh, as I told you, I, I got this kind of last minute this week. Um, and even when Ken asked me to do it Tuesday night, he said, it's only 80% sure. It'll be 100% sure on Thursday. And so yesterday, as I was rehearsing this, uh, I asked my daughter, do you want to come and listen to it? And she is very gracious, so she listened. And at the end of it, she said, so mom, let me just get this straight. So all the plagues and all that destruction and all that terrible stuff, that's never going to happen again because of Jesus, right? Because when he looks at us, when God looks at us now, he just sees Jesus, right? And I said, that's exactly it, sweetie. That's exactly it. When God looks at us, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus who came to take away all of our sins so that we truly may live in the freedom of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these holy moments on a Sunday morning that we can set aside time for you so that we too may be set apart for your purposes and your plans. God, we thank you for your provision, whether it comes to us in patience or your grace or your unending love or the ways in which you just set us free. Lord, I pray that we not take that for granted. Lord, I pray that we know what it means that we cannot liberate ourselves, that there is not a freedom that we can have by doing enough or being enough. Lord, help us to understand the beauty of your grace. To know, Lord, that we only need to be still because you have made the sacrifice of your son, the ultimate sacrifice that frees us to be in a loving, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe who tells us that we matter. God, thank you for that. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.